pray. Heavenly Father, be with us. Speak to our hearts and minds by your Spirit. Encourage and equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first. Every day of every week of every year. For your honor and glory. And for the good of your people. In Christ's holy name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Yesterday, we were at my daughter's first swim meet. There were hundreds of adults crammed into these very uncomfortable stands. And the pool was divided into two sections. Um, section number one uh, was the, the, the younger kids, uh, the, the girls, sorry, section number two were the boys. Events were going on at the same time. Lots of chaos, lots of... Um, so we're up there watching, watching these kids do their thing. And, and there are just, it's wave after wave after wave after wave. There's a mom that is sitting just behind us. And my wife had gotten there before I had. And she is, I don't know if she knows her, if she just met her there. But this lady is talking a lot to my wife. And she's talking about all of these things that should be happening well, they did that wrong, and I don't know why these you know, referees are doing that, and I don't know why this is happening. That, they should have done the turn that way. And that's not right there, and that's not right there. And Now, I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, would you be quiet? Like, do you really have to tell us everything? And I mean, she just, but like, she did seem to know a lot, sharing it all. Well, finally, her child starts her heat. And this lady stands up, and this is what she is saying. Her daughter is swimming. There's eight swimmers. Swim, Cece, swim. Cece, swim. Swim, Cece. Cece, swim. And, and I thought to myself, if I am the daughter and I actually heard that, thanks, Mom. I was thinking about bringing a bike or maybe walking. But yeah, I think I'll go ahead and swim. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like, swim, swim. She's going out. And she's doing this with her hand. So I'm thinking, these kids, I mean, my daughter at the end of each one of her heats, she didn't even know what place she got because she didn't know what was going on around her. And here's this mom up in the stand, she's doing this. I'm like, your daughter can't see that. She has no idea what you're doing. And then, down where the swimmers are, they make this announcement multiple times. Only coaches and approved volunteers are supposed to be down there because it's a mess. I mean, there are so many kids down there. Well, this mom, after the race, she needed to talk to her kid. So she just barreled on down there through them all and found her kid. And here's what I thought. This mom is committed. I mean, she is absolutely committed to this. She may have annoyed me. She may have, I mean, when my daughter was racing, I'm like, go, go, you know. <laughs> but... Even no matter what, she was committed to this. Like she knew what was happening. She understood the racing. When her daughter, the whole time her daughter is racing, she is just into it, no matter what anybody around her thought. And it didn't care what the rules were. She had to talk to her daughter about her race, and she's down there. She is committed. What are you absolutely committed to? 
throw yourself into this. Whatever obstacles you may have, you're going to climb through them, over them, because you are so committed to it. What in your life are you just absolutely 100% all in? This morning, we read a passage that doesn't tell us to do anything. There's no commandments. There's no, you should live like this. It's just a story. However, in the story, this is what we see. There are two things that Moses is absolutely committed to, overwhelmingly committed to. I mean, enough and I, don't, I really don't think this is too strong. You'll see it in the passage that he's willing to take on God. He's that committed. Open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. We're going to look at a passage that you may have never heard a sermon on. I've never preached on this before. In the last 15 years of preaching, I've never preached on this before. Um, It's an interesting little passage in the middle of Exodus 33. Exodus 33, Moses shows two things he is absolutely committed to. Number one, he is committed to God's call in his life, specifically as it relates to the people of God. He is absolutely committed to the call that God put in his life, especially as it relates to the people of God. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, see, the word means to consider or to pay attention. Um, This is what you do when you're talking to your children and they're not listening and you have to go, listen to me. Pay attention. Moses is doing that to God. He's saying, pay attention. I've got something important to tell you, God. You say to me, all right, now, we've all said that to somebody at some point, right? You say this, but you ever thought of saying that to God? I mean, this is, I'm not kidding when I say he's, he's in some way, he's, he's taking on God. God, pay attention. You say to me, bring up this people. That's his call. Like from the very beginning, that's been his call. Go all the way back to Exodus 3 and 4. God has called this man to bring this people out of Egypt, to bring them into the promised land. That's his call. Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Um, now, that is a, it may sound a little awkward because you think, well, of course he's let you know, it's, it's the people. Like, who else would it be? I mean, this is what your calling was, all these things. If you go back into the beginning of this chapter, something happens that is, um, it's, yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's a good word for it. It's uncomfortable. In our culture, possibly at times in our church culture, and I say that because I know it's true in my own life, We don't take sin seriously enough. We take the really big sins seriously. I mean, we do something really wrong, we usually feel kind of guilty about it. But how many of us go through life doing all kinds of things we probably shouldn't do, 
but we're kind of okay with it because either everybody else seems to be okay with it, we don't get caught, we compare it to some of the really big things, it's just not a big deal, but I would argue that we don't necessarily take sin seriously enough. This is what God's response was to the sins of the Israelites. Uh, look at the verse 1 of chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Okay, there's that command. I'm doing what you said, I'm doing your calling, all those things. You've told me to do it again. However, look at verse 3. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. I'm not coming. I know I've been leading you. I know you met me in the bush. I know we've had the mountain experience, but I'm not coming with you. Here's why. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God has been, and hear this, um, there is an anthropomorphic um, image here. God is being treated very much in, in, a, in a person kind of way. He's being described in a human way just like we would feel. I mean, have you ever been so upset? Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your work. Have you ever been so upset that you had to walk away? Because if you had stayed, you might have done something you regretted. That's what God is talking about right here. Like, I am not going to go with you because I am so upset with your sin right now that I might consume you. Right? And here's, jump down to verse 5. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. For if, for if a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. So Moses has been left with this, God has looked at the sin and he is so upset by it that he says, I'm not even going to go with you because I may consume you if I do. I want you to take those ornaments off so I can decide what to do with you. But he's left it right there. And so Moses is like, I don't know what you're going to do yet, God. Like, are you going to wipe them all out? Are you going to wipe part of them out? You've told me to take this people up, but you've not told me yet who it's going to be. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ, who takes all our sins, because sin means a lot to God. But that's what Moses is referring to there. You haven't told me yet who you're going to bring up, who I'm going to take, because I don't know what you're going to do. You've left it open-ended here. Keep going back in our section there. Yet you've said, I know you by name. We read that in the passage. Uh, he would meet in the tent of meeting, which is really not the tent of meeting, if you've ever heard that term before, because they were supposed to create the tent of meeting, which would rest, it would be the tabernacle, it would rest right in the middle of the group. However, because of the sin of the golden calf, God has said, I'm not going to be with you now. And what's happened is Moses has taken a tent, and he's brought his own tent outside of the camp, and that's where he's meeting with God, outside the camp. But he meets with him face to face, like a friend. And so here's Moses. I mean, look what he's doing. He is, in a respectful, reverent way, he's throwing it back at God. You've told me to do this, 
and you, you say you know me? Like we meet face to face? Keep going. I know you by name and you've also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. God, I want to understand. That word means your path, the way you journey, the way you, the way you work, your, your, your uh, operation system. Like show me. I want to get this. Because you've said you're going to go with us, but now you're not going to go with us. You may have that prayer now, but now you may consume us. I want to get you. I want to understand you. Man, anybody have that prayer now and then with God? Show me your ways. Like, I want to understand. I want to get this. I want to know what's going on. That I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And really, that should be continued favor. I mean, he's already got favor. That's why he can make this prayer. He's been meeting with God face to face. He already knows the Lord. He's not the one that's in trouble. He was on the mountain when they did what they did. And Moses is like, I want to get it. I mean, in some ways, it's almost as if he says, I don't want to screw up the way they screwed up. Like, I'm in your favor right now. Tell me your way so I understand. I want to know what's going to happen with them. I want to know how to keep living rightly for you. Keep going. Consider that word in Hebrew is the same word as the word see in verse 12. Again, consider or pay attention. Think about, Lord. Don't let this miss your attention. Consider, too, that this nation is your people, God. These are your people. You brought them up. They're not my people. You can't just leave them behind. Here's God's response. And he said, my presence will go with you. With you is not in Hebrew. It literally says, and it's two words in Hebrew, it's a two-word sentence. My presence will go. And then he says, and I will give you rest. And you is singular. Very likely right now, he's talking to Moses. Don't worry, Moses. Let me alleviate your fears. I will go with you. I will be with you. You will get rest. And, and even that rest right there might better be translated as something like, I'm alleviating your fears, your anxieties. I'm giving you peace. You don't need to worry about him, Moses. I'm not leaving you. Remember I said he's committed to his calling? He's committed to the people? That's not enough for Moses. Look what he does. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in yourself, in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses will not give up on this because he is absolutely committed to the call that God put in his life. This isn't a halfway thing for Moses. This morning, while I was praying, I got a phone call. It was a phone call from Trey. Trey probably doesn't even know that he called me unless he goes and looks at his phone because he butt called me. And I pick it up, I'm like, oh man, Trey's calling. It's got, I mean, something's gotta be going on here. It's like 7.30 and I pick it up, hello? 
And I just hear in the background, there's all this noise and shuffling and there's voices and somebody's saying something like this. I'm like, hello? Oh, never mind. He didn't actually call me. This was just a, a kind of call. Moses is not doing that kind of thing. This isn't a halfway thing. This isn't a partway thing. This is all out for Moses. Enough so that even when God says to him, I will be with you, Moses. I'm not leaving you. Moses goes, that's not good enough. Because the call you put in my life is to bring this people up. I'm not going to let that go. I am going to fight for this because I'm fighting for you, God. I'm fighting for what you want, actually. You wanted to rescue this people. You heard their cry. You made the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I am standing right now for your sake. That's why I want to do this. That's why I will stand here and actually take you on, in essence, for you. What do you have in your life that's like that? I mean, what in your life has God called you to that you're so committed to that you will not only not give it up, you won't back down, but you'll do it for him. There's a man named Brother Lawrence, and he is well known for a single work, the practice of the presence of God. And in that book, he says this, our sanctification does not depend upon changing what we do, but in doing for God's sake what we normally do for our own sake. Let me read it again. Our sanctification does not depend upon changing what we do. It's not about going and doing a whole bunch of new things, but in doing for God's sake what we normally do for our own sake. I'm gonna tell you, you have a calling from God. And I can point out that calling right now in some of your lives. If you are married, you have a calling from God to your spouse. It's a calling. It's not just a good thing to do. It's not just, well, as long as I make my spouse happy, things are better for me. It's not just, well, it's the right thing to do and I, it is all that. However, it is a divine calling from God because the covenant you entered into, you entered into before God. The way you treat your spouse, you are called to live that as a calling to the Lord. You stand for his reputation. You stand for what matters to him by the way you treat your spouse. You have a calling to your kids. You have a calling to be a parent to your kids, not only to raise them well, to make them good, honest people, but also from God. That's a calling he has on your life. You raise them for him. The things you do, the way you treat them, the way you discipline and love them, and the way you hold them, and you can do that for him. You can be so committed to your kids because it's a commitment to God. Now, I can't give you too many more blanket 
callings of God. There's some things in your life. It could be. I know that many of you have said to me or to somebody else that you really love redemption. You love this church. You love the people. You love the environment. I mean, it's, you found relationships, you found all these things, and all of that is wonderful. But God has called you, whether it is here or it is somewhere else, God has called you to be committed to a body. Whether it's hard or easy, whether, it, whether you go through seasons where things are challenging and seasons where things are like, yes, this is awesome. But God has called you to be committed to a body because it's in that commitment to others where much of our greatest spiritual growth happens. It's where our struggles are. It may be a job for you. There may be something you're in right now where your job is really hard and maybe God is saying, you need to get out. And maybe God is saying, I want you to commit to this. I want you to stick it out. It may be a relationship, something in your life where you're just ready to go, I'm tired of it, I'm cutting the ties. And yet if you sat with God for a while, he may be saying, I need you to hold on to this. Where is it that God is calling you to be absolutely committed? And you know what? Not because it's easy. I mean, we make jokes all the time about the Israelites. They were, I mean, God called them a stiff-necked people here. They were hard. I mean, they wanted to do their own thing all the time. Like, they walk out of the Red Sea, and almost immediately they're complaining already. They're complaining against Moses. They complain against Miriam. They complain against Aaron. They, they make everybody else the scapegoat. They are a hard people who constantly take Moses for granted. Have you ever been taken for granted? I mean, all the time they take him for granted. And yet, he sticks it out. He keeps going because he's got this laser focus on his calling from God. No matter how he's being treated, no matter how other people are responding, this is what God has for me. And I'm gonna keep going. And it's not easy for Moses either. He has his moments. I mean, Moses has moments where he's just ready to give up on all of them. Had those moments before? Like, I'm tired of this, I've done enough. The thing about Moses is he keeps returning, though. He keeps coming back. He keeps going, I've had this moment where I'm just ready to smite them all, just like God, and yet, all right, I've got that out of my system. I know what my calling is. He comes back. I'm gonna keep going, because God has called me to this. Next week, we're gonna, our, our passage is Moses' death. And the basic idea is finishing well, and that is what Moses can say, that he did finish well, despite his sin, despite the times where he wanted to give up, he finished well because he kept his eye focused. Back in 1906, Marla Runyon did not qualify for the Olympics. She tried, but her highest mark fell short. However, she didn't give up, and she went back in 2000, and she qualified. She uh, made the team for Sydney, and she would finish in eighth place in the 1500-meter race, but still have the best time 
in American history for a woman. Eighth place. And what makes this story of her so different is that she is legally blind. She is the first blind athlete to qualify and to actually run in the Olympics and then to make eighth place. After the Olympics in 2002, she posted the second fastest debut marathon ever by an American woman. Here's what she can see. Just some kind of dark blobs and shapes. She can't make out detail, no color, nothing. But she said this, it has actually been helpful to me. I don't ever worry about what's going on with the runner near me or behind me or in front of me. I have to keep my entire focus on where I am going. Because otherwise, I'll just get totally off. Because um, I can't see anything other than that little bit of thing right in front. That's all I got. And I run after it. And she had to struggle to get to where she was. But she would not give up. And she has the right focus. That is what Moses has and it's what we're called to. A commitment to whatever God has called you to. Multiple things in your life that God has called you to. Commitment and a singular focus. And the second thing that Moses is committed to, we've already seen it in the passage, is God's presence. God's presence. Look back at verse 14. And he said, my presence will go and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Lord, we didn't even want to go. If you're not going with us, we want to stay right here. We don't want to go anywhere without you. And you might think there's all kinds of reasons to focus this on. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Do you remember when God said to them, I want you to be my holy people. I want you to be a priesthood to the nations. God had all these wonderful things he wanted for his people. I want you to be special. I want you to do amazing things. And here is Moses going, we can't be that without you. If your presence isn't here, we're not going to be anything other than what everybody else is. We cannot be the real people of God without your presence with us. You, Lord, are what make us who we are. You make us that treasured possession. You make us the priesthood to the nations. Without you, you might say it this way, we're fakes. We're not real. I saw this beautiful Facebook post. It's a, a picture of a dad, and he's holding his son's hand, and it's from behind, and they're walking towards their car, and the son is dressed up. He's, I don't know, it's from behind. He may be five or six, something like that. He's about my son's height. Um, and he's dressed as a firefighter. And, and the picture 
is from Northern California. And the caption is, um, uh, we are something like we're trading out Batman and Superman this Halloween for the real heroes. I thought that, how beautiful that is. You know, because we, I mean, in, in almost all of our crises, that comes up. We'll start talking about the fact that the real heroes are the first responders. It's the police and it's the firefighters. I mean, we notice it when, when, the, when the terrible things are happening and they're stepping up and they're putting their lives on the line. And then when that's not happening, we're, we're kind of back to, you know, Marvel. They're our heroes. You know, sports figures. They're our heroes. We're looking up. And there's nothing wrong with seeing the good in those things. But they aren't the real heroes. It's the firefighters and the policemen and, and the teachers. It's those people who day in and day out are making differences at every level. They're giving their lives to make ours better. This is saying to be really the people of God, not fake. We've got to have your presence, Lord. We can't do this without you. We need the presence of God. Every morning, as I stand back there, um, and some of you, you have come up to me and, and you've wanted to say hi, and you'll walk up and you'll, from behind, you'll tap me in the back and just keep going, or you'll walk up in front and you'll, you'll come up and you'll reach your hand out like, oh, I'm so sorry, because um, you'll notice my eyes are closed. I want you to know that I am not saying anything profound. I'm not speaking in tongues. I don't have some great prayer memorized. Um, I'm not like just overwhelmed by God. And Here's what I'm praying. Come, Lord Jesus. Over and over and over again. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Because right there in that moment, it's one, for me personally, it is one of the most profound times of understanding how much I need the presence of God to do what he's called me to do. Because I'm, I'm going to right there and I'm going to walk forward and within about 20 minutes, I'm going to be up here trying to teach God's word. And the weight of that is just so palpable that I'm going, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Because I need God. Now, I need him in all kinds of other areas, but this is one where I know this is, this is a calling. This is something that I have entertained people before. I've given speeches. Um, I've given impromptu, interesting talks on stuff. But this is different. The goal right here, it's really not entertainment. And it's not just information. I always want you to learn. I want you to gain something. But it's, it's life change. It's transformation. It's, it's walking out with something where God spoke into your life and said something to you where you are. That's a lot of weight. I mean, when you're standing back there and you're going, well, number one, you're standing back there going, probably it's okay because there's only like five people here. I mean, we're good. But like, 
you know that by the time you start speaking, this room is going to be filled with people, and you're all going through your own stuff. You're all going through your own struggles and your own trials, the own, your own things that God is walking with you through. And some speak to each individual sermon, one word. It's supposed to speak to each individual in some way. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Where is it that you know you need the Lord? Where is it that you know you need his presence? Are you asking? Um, just to quote Brother Lawrence again, because, you know, the practice of the presence of God, how can you not quote that? Um, this, is, this is how Brother Lawrence describes it, and he's such a simple guy. I mean, if you ever read the book, it's a little hard in certain places, but he's really simple. Oh my God, you are with me, and I must now, in obedience to your commands, apply my mind to these outward things. And he's talking about things like washing the dishes. I must apply my mind to these outward things. I beseech you to grant me the grace to continue in your presence. It was this continual prayer. Whether he was preaching or changing a diaper, that was his continual prayer. Gardening or studying God's word, it was his continual prayer. To this end, I ask that you grant me your assistance, receive all my works, and possess all my emotions. He just prayed it over and over and over again. He wanted to be in the presence of God all the time because it defined who he was, and it gave him strength to do what he needed to do. And Moses got that. He was absolutely committed to it. Lord, I didn't even want to go if you're not coming with me. Let's try that. Lord, I didn't even want to do this if you're not coming with me. I need you that much. Two things he was absolutely committed to. The calling God had for him, especially for Moses, uh, in Moses' case, the people of God. And God's presence, it must be with me. Or I don't want to go. This first meet that my daughter was in, uh, she's never done this before. Um, she's in the like pre-comp team, so it's not even the official team. I mean, she's brand new at this. She's not been swimming a long time. And she was so nervous the night before. So nervous the morning of, and so nervous between the races. I mean, just, and, and we kept trying to tell her. We're like, honey, which I understand, I mean, from our perspective, we're being all logical about it. It's okay. You know, it doesn't, as long as you enjoy yourself, like you literally, you have to get your feet wet in place. You're not officially on the team. Like, just go out and have fun. This is, this is to get your feet wet. Okay. Um, man. But the one she was most worried about was the 200 meters. I, it, you could just see it visibly on her face. She was so stressed about the 200 meters. And I'm like, why are you so stressed? She's like, I'm going to look foolish. I'm not going to finish. I'm going to come in last. I'm gonna, I mean, everything. She's got this slew of things to be worried about. And it is a long race. But she did it. And I remember watching her. It's a 25-meter pool. So it's just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You know, and all the flip turns you have to do. And, and she didn't do great. 
And afterwards, she was sad. She was upset. She didn't, she didn't do well. I'm like, baby, I am so proud of you. Like, I, I, I don't care what place you finished in. I care that you finished. And I told her, I watched you. I watched you as you did those first, like, 50 meters or so. And she's already done three events by this point. This is her fourth one. After the first 50 meters, I could see her slowing down. Like, I could see her arms coming out slower out of the water. I could see her, instead of going a couple strokes for a breath, it's like every stroke is a breath because she's running out. I could see the turns slowing down. Like her last one, I thought, she's not coming up. I'm going to have to jump in after her. I mean, it just got so slow. But she kept going. That's what I said to her. Sweetheart, that's all we cared about. Like, you finished this thing. Like, you pushed yourself. No matter how hard it got, you were committed to this. That is what matters. Are you committed to what God is committed to? Are you committed to the things God has called you to? Will you be committed to the presence of God in your life? Because that is what defines us as his people, and it's what strengthens us to do the calling he's given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. We don't always feel it. We don't always sense it. Even at times when we're crying out for it. But your son promised that he would always be with us. Lord, help us to, to know that presence to fall out your presence, to walk in your presence, Lord, and to be all out, 100% committed to the things that you have called us to, and to know that we're doing them primarily for you, not even for ourselves, but for you. Lord, help us to keep our eye on the goal, on the finish line, that we might finish well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.